It may still be November, but I'm thankful we're going to do our first mock for the 2024 MLB Draft. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And I want this to be your show. If you have show ideas, questions for Monday's mailbag, segment ideas, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Everything else, all the other ways to reach us, it's in the episode description, it's in the show notes. Special happy Thanksgiving to the everydayers out there. Thanks for having me on while you're uh, prepping your turkey, while you're driving over to grandma's house with the crock pot on the floor. Appreciate that. If you're not an everydayer, do us a favor. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Give us a little thumbs up on the video. If you're on audio, you can add us in your favorite podcast app. Leave us a rate. Leave us a review. If it's a good one, I'll read it on the show. So looking at the MLB draft, for 2024, the order is going to change, right? And so some people are probably thinking, why are we doing a mock draft now when the order is going to change when they have the draft lottery in just a couple weeks? And one, I think it's really useful for us to not only see who is in different parts of the board, but also I've done my best here to make some notes for every single team on some of the tendencies that they tend to have in the MLB draft. Uh, Now, these obviously are not set in stone. Teams do change these, and some of these teams have changed general managers. And so not all of these tendencies are going to be the same this year that they were in the past, but it's still pretty insightful for us to learn how these teams like to do things, learn how these teams like to evaluate prospects and what they value when we get in the MLB draft. For right now, because the, the draft lottery has not happened, we are using the percentages on the likelihood of a team getting the number one overall pick in the draft lottery. Those are obviously set based off of winning percentage. The three worst teams, Oakland, Kansas City, and Colorado, all have the best chance at 16.5%. And it goes all the way down to number 18, the Seattle Mariners, who had the best record of any non-playoff team. They have a 0.23% chance of making the postseason, uh, of getting the number one overall pick. There are some adjustments to be made In the order, the Washington Nationals, despite having a 438 winning percentage, which was tied for fifth worst, they are ineligible to get a pick inside the top 10. They paid into the revenue sharing program and they had a lottery pick last year. So the highest they can pick is number 10. So for right now, I've left them at 10. Uh, Also, the New York Mets, the San Diego Padres, the New York Yankees, those three teams are set to have their first pick moved back 10 spots unless they're in the top six in the lottery. The Mets came in at seventh best odds, five and a half percent of that number one overall pick. Uh, Whereas San Diego is at 15, the Yankees are at 16, both of them under 1%. I've gone ahead and moved all three of those picks back one spot. So the number one overall pick for now, based off having the worst winning percentage in baseball last year, is the Oakland A's. But again, the MLB draft lottery can absolutely make this change 
in the next couple weeks and you can see somebody else. You could see Pittsburgh, you could see Kansas City, you could see St. Louis, the Angels. Lots of teams could jump up to that number one overall pick because everybody minus Washington who didn't make the postseason has a chance of having their name drawn with number one overall. So for Oakland, 50-1-12 last year, typically what they've liked to do in the draft is they like to take players that play up the middle, right? Uh, it's balanced between prep and college. Last year, their pick at number six overall was shortstop Jacob Wilson out of Grand Canyon University. Uh, obviously up the middle defender, very good defensive shortstop, one of the better contact hitters, barely struck out last year at Grand Canyon. This year, with the number one overall pick, we had a whole show back on October 27th with guest Mark Etheridge of D1Baseball.com talking about potential number one overall picks. And we spent a whole segment talking about uh, Jack Caglione, the first baseman and left-handed pitcher out of Florida. Is he going to be number one overall? And the consensus for both me and Mark was, yes, he's going to be the number one overall pick. He is the one of the most talented players in there, both as a pitcher and as a hitter. This sounds awful to say it like this. I don't necessarily trust the Oakland A's to get this right. Uh, that's something where when they took Jacob Wilson at six last year, he was seen as a very safe and I'm going to say uninspiring pick. There were other players that were seen as also top 10 picks that could have been, that could have gone there. And they were unfortunate that they were the first pick after the big five. But I would have liked to have seen them taken Tommy Troy or Matt Shaw, the infielders from Stanford, Maryland, respectively, and they went with Jacob Wilson. And so I've got them here taking first baseman Nick Kurtz out of Wake Forest. It's a first baseman at number one overall. I understand how wild and extreme that is. I do want to point out he has been one of the hardest hitters to pitch to the last couple of years in college baseball. Batted 338 his freshman year, batted 353 his sophomore year. 24 home runs. He's got very good contact ability, and he's a very good defender at first base. We've seen this Oakland team now that they're go they're going to be eventually going to a new ballpark. Uh, they have up the middle defenders. Zach Gellif had the most war of anybody on that team last year. Uh, they don't necessarily have a lot of power. And I think that Nick Kurtz playing in that tiny ballpark in Wake Forest that he plays in is going to have an absurd offensive season and the number of home runs, as well as the ability theoretically to kick him out to the outfit if you wanted to, like a, to a left field or something like that. I think they're going to end up being uh, fascinated and go outside of type to take Nick Kurtz from Wake Forest, number one overall. Now, if that happens, that means Jack Caglione falls to the Kansas City Royals at number two, and I guarantee you they would be running up to the podium to submit that card as soon as possible. Again, that was the October 27th show where we talked about Jack Caglione and potential lottery picks. I'll link that up here in the uh, corner of the video on YouTube, and I'll uh, put that date in the episode description so you can go find that audio, that video, and uh, hear us talking about Jack Caglione. But he is one of the most impressive players in college baseball. Was a Golden Spikes Awards semifinalist last year. Led the country in home runs. 
had an ERA of about 4-3 as the third guy on the weekend, but has done a lot of work in the offseason to completely change and revamp his pitching motion, his pitching mechanics. And from what we've been told here in fall, it's been a lot more consistent, it's been a lot more streamlined, and it's given him some better command. Now, obviously not a work in progress there. Also not a work in progress offensively. He, got, he, he struggled a bit in the College World Series run facing really good arms, something where he has fantastic power, but he absolutely can be too aggressive at times. He's not a, he's not a slam dunk, absolute sure thing. And that's the good thing about Kansas City picking it too right now is they're one of the few teams that they've taken from all four demographics in the last couple drafts. They've taken prep position players. They've taken prep pitchers. They've taken college position players and college hitters in the first round over the last couple of years. They've done just about everything. And so it feels like Kansas City, more so than anybody else, is really there for best player available, right? Who is the best player available that we can take and make sure that we can sign? Signability, to me, is the big thing when you look at Colorado. Picking third right now, 59-103 and last year, and it feels like they've really focused on signability. Even when they were to take a prep guy, it was always with the, like, they had already worked everything out ahead of time to make sure he was going to sign. And what I've got for them is an infielder, Travis Bazana of Oregon State, He's listed as a second baseman. He's played mostly second base. The word is he's going to play some shortstop coming up for this season for the Beavers, but hit 429 as a like just absurd number. And obviously, all college stats are absurd, but very good with the line drives, very good with getting quality contact into all of his swings. You've got a big ballpark, he's going to be able to run for days. Uh, you did see more power come up la- come up last year, but still maybe not necessarily where you would expect it to be for a top five overall pick. Not quite there yet, but one, I do think it's possible. And two, everything else that he brings as far as being a plus runner, going over to shortstop, be able to kick out to center field if you needed them to. Uh, it feels like it's a good choice for Colorado to make. The signability is going to be there in just a minute. Let's talk about the Chicago White Sox at number four. They're willing to take on a bunch of extra risk if they can get them some upside. Let's look at some of the options they might take right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, doing our first mock draft of the year. And Chicago White Sox are at four, 61 and 101. If you look at... They actually, they took an infield defender last year, Jacob Gonzalez out of Old Miss. Offensively, didn't quite have the impact that you wanted, but defensively, very good defender. And historically, they've been willing to take on risk. And some of the guys in their system, some of their top prospects, like a Noah Schultz, you can see the risk inherent in taking a player like that. And when it works out, it's a fantastic pick. And so I've got the first prep coming off the board here at number four to the Chicago White Sox in Connor Griffin. The shortstop, he's played some outfield. He's also a right-handed pitcher out of Mississippi. Something here where, again, he plays both shortstop and center field. He's expected to stick in, like stick at shortstop 
Although there's questions about as he grows, is he going to be able to stay there? And if not, is he going to have to move out to the outfield? The speed's there either way. But offensively, this is the thing. He's got absurd power potential. He Fantastic bat speed. It's homer power, not doubles and line drive power. Absolutely has the raw power. The reason I talk about a little bit of extra risk is... He's the type of player from the scouting reports that I've read and from what I've seen, he's the type of player that likes to adjust his swing and tinker and always trying to be making little small corrections to optimize it. And we've seen guys and we've seen guys in the past at the major league level who like to tinker that can sometimes get themselves in trouble when they tinker too far and lose the groove of the swing. Cody Bellinger feels like a good example of something like that. I'm not saying Connor Griffin is going to be Cody Bellinger, but that's the type of risk you're talking about. The swing decisions look good, but like you need, he needs to be more consistent with the hit tool. Now, if that happens, if he can maximize the quality of the contact, get barrels versus just base hits and things like that, he absolutely could be a five-tool player. He one of those top-of-the-draft stars that you expect when you take a guy in the top five. He does also have potential as a pitcher. Uh, His fastball has gotten up to 96. He throws a slider as well. I've heard it's really good. And there are a few teams, reportedly, that are more interested in him as a pitcher than a hitter. But either way, feels like this is the draft pick that the White Sox, who are obviously retooling right now and not quite rebuilding, but retooling, maybe rebuilding if they trade some more pieces, that's probably the kind of pick that they're looking at to get there in the next competitive window. For the St. Louis Cardinals, this is another one where we're going a little bit out of type. Traditionally, they've liked um, outfielders, and that's something they've developed a ton of outfielders. That's just what they're good at. Uh, And then they like specific traits. They're willing to take on some risk, but the way that last year finished, some of the struggles that they had from the mound. One of the things that they specifically have talked about needing to do is to get better about finding pitchers that have swing and miss. And so when you're looking at pitchers that have swing and miss, if that's your goal, you want to find those guys, then I think somebody they're going to look for, look at is Thatcher Hurd, the right-hand pitcher out of LSU. Transferred from UCLA into LSU, Fastball can run up to 96. He's got an absolutely fantastic slider, 3,000 RPMs. He'll throw it a ton. He's got a big curveball as well. And so it's going to be a health thing for him. He had a back injury his freshman year, UCLA. But again, the fact he's he's 6'4", 210 already, if he's healthy and he's able to show these three pitches are all plus pitches with swing and miss and can be consistent with these, He's going to shoot up there and be the first non-Jack Caglione pitcher taken. I don't know for if he struggles and doesn't have the season that I expect him to have at LSU, then the next draft pick is probably your new first non-Jack Caglione pitcher taken. This pick is the Angels. They were 73-89, so it's the number seven overall pick. Uh, And this pick I have as right-hand pitcher Chase Burns out of Wake Forest. We know the Angels like to take college performers, uh, guys that can move quickly through the minors. Obviously, they got last year's first rounder, 
Nolan Shane will up to the majors very, very quickly. And Chase Burns is the type of pitcher that is so polished already, forgetting the fact that he's going over to Wake Forest in that famed pitching lab, that he's going to come out, theoretically, as long as he's healthy, he's going to come out close to a finished product already. Fastball sits mid to upper 90s. He's touched 101 with it. Reports in the fall are that it's getting a lot closer to to 100 uh, on a more consistent basis. He's got one of those two-plane sliders. Uh, he can run it up to 90, but it sits in the high 80s. It's not a, it's not a sweeper. It has two-plane, kind of that, that down-and-away darting to it. Really good spin rates on it. He's got a changeup, doesn't use it a ton. And I think that's just a, it feels like he doesn't quite have the command of it in any sort of individual start where he can use it more often. That's something where I expect Wake is probably either going to tweak the grip on it or give him a different changeup to get it to where it's reliable. I feel like so many Wake Forest pitchers have had fantastic changeups when they come out of there. And Rhett Lauder is the one that comes to mind, the first rounder, number seven overall to the Reds last year. Chase Burns going uh, to the Angels at number six makes a ton of sense to me. At number seven, the Pittsburgh Pirates, 76 and 86 last year. They like guys with safe future projections. And if they can get some value, they'll absolutely do that. And you saw that with Paul Skeens last year. He was projected as the number two overall pick. They took him at number one. They got him at half a million dollars under slot. And then you saw Dylan Cruz go number two to to Washington. And the rumors were he was asking for over slot ended up coming in right at slot at $9 million. So Paul Skeens, the safety of things like that makes me lean towards a guy like outfielder Mike Sirota from Northeastern, right? Something where fantastic chase rates, one of the least chasey hitters in the country last year can hit velocity as well. One of the stats that I saw, and I haven't actually independently verified this yet, but one of the stats I saw from a source I trust is that he was one of the only players in the country not to have a swing and a miss against a fastball that was 92 miles an hour or faster. So he can hit velocity. He's very hard to make him chase. The raw power looks like at least above average, if not plus. And then he is a very good center fielder, plus defender, plus speed, good reads, routes, reactions, everything that you want. It's something where he doesn't have any single specific carrying tool, but he's just really good at everything he does. And so when you take that all together, that gives you a player that can absolutely be a starter within just a couple of years. Take it over for Brian Reynolds in center field. Brian Reynolds goes to left and give you a, a center fielder you can count on for a decade. That's the kind of profile you're looking at for a Mike Sirota. Number eight for Cleveland, I really struggled with this one because Cleveland is so heavy into the models, right? They want a guy, if it's a hitter, good contact ability. If it's a pitcher, they want pitchability and projection. And a guy that somehow ended up falling down the board here in this mock that I'm in control of, so it's my fault, is J.J. Weatherholt out of West Virginia. Played both second base and third base. Led the nation in hitting last year. 449, 
517.782 is the slash line. We don't talk about a lot of the uh, hitting stats in college because the numbers are always nuts, but still, 16 home runs, had another 23 doubles, and stole 35 bags, so 11th in the country. Uh, 510.190 has played second. Word is he's going to play some third base this year. Honestly, probably malpractice on my part to have him fall this far. But when you look at a guy with really high average exit velos and a contact rate better than 90%, that absolutely screams Cleveland to me. And so that's why I've got him going to Cleveland with the number eight overall pick. In just a minute, we're going to round out the top 10. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects. Going over the MLB mock draft for 2024. Uh, obviously, we're still not quite that far along yet. Number nine, the pick for number nine is going to be the Detroit Tigers. One of your big unknowns here, because just like the White Sox, they have a new general manager. And we just don't quite, I don't quite know what Jeff Greenberg's going to do. But in this scenario, what I'm looking at Somebody who fits in well with some of the guys they've drafted before that the pit, that the player development staff has been able to make into productive big leaders. And so I'm thinking about Riley Green when I give them Derek Curiel, the prep outfielder out of California. He's committed to LSU. So many of these guys in this draft are. Uh, something where very short and simple swing with fantastic contact rates. One of the best contact rates in the entire prep class is good at using the entire field, is good at covering the entire plate. And the big question is where his power comes in, right? He doesn't quite have the large frame that you would expect from a kid who's 6'3". He's listed at 185. But still, it's something where he's a plus runner. He gives you good defense. The swing, the lefty swing is really good. The instincts and the bat, the skill is great. You're expecting the physical maturity to come in to give you the power behind it. It reminds, does remind me a lot of a guy like a Riley Green. And so that's why I have him, I have him there. I don't know if the power ever gets above average to above average, but I think the hit tool is easily plus if not better. And then again, good defense as well. So Derek Curiel going to the Detroit Tigers at number nine. At number 10, Washington Nationals, I'll remind you, this is where they had to come back because they were in the lottery last year. You can't do that two straight years. And so the big thing on the Washington Nationals is they feel like they're driven by two things. One, traditional scouting looks, right? The guys that fit the model, the big, broad shoulders, tall pitcher, right? You know, the the home run hitter with the big swing. And then it feels like they look at ultimate ceiling, right? What could this guy be if he hits his 95th percentile outcome, right? And so for me, lefty Cam Caminiti seems like the guy for them. If the name is familiar, this is the nephew of Ken Caminiti, but reclassified from 2025 to 2024, so he'll be 17 years old. Because of that, a lot of the teams that have the draft models are going to be high on him as well. And Cleveland is a heavy model team, so he could go to Cleveland and not necessarily make it down to Washington. But I've got him there because I feel like Cleveland wants a little bit more pitchability and stuff out of their guys. But for Cam Caminiti, 
Uh, it's something where he does hit. He does have some good raw power if he decides to be a hitter. But pitching's where he is. He can already run the ball up to 97 or so. Sliders in the low 80s. And the fastball can run up to 97. It usually sits low 90s in his starts. And that's typical of, of the kids of this age. That's fine. He Again, low 80s slider. He does have a curveball and a pretty good changeup from what I've seen. From what I've seen, doesn't have a lot of spin to it. Kills the spin, which is good. But the whole thing here is when you have these four pitches, he's got the athleticism, obviously the bloodlines matter, and a very aesthetically pleasing form. It feels like the type of player that even if he never really gets to just blowing you away with pure stuff, he's still going to be a good mid-rotation guy and a solid big league starter. And obviously the potential is there given the physical traits and everything to be an impact starter. And so it feels like it may not be the loudest fastball in this class, but it feels like this is the kind of pitcher that Washington's going to like. They're going to see the 97 miles an hour when he was 16 years old. They're going to see four different pit total pitches and they're going to say, we want this guy. And then the last one apparently that we'll get to in this show is number 11, the Boston Red Sox. Another team that has a new general manager. Craig Breslow took over here for Chime Bloom. One of the big consistencies with Bloom outside of last year, where they took Kyle Teal, the catcher out of Virginia, is they liked to go with prep shortstops from California. Uh, so I don't. we don't quite know what's going to happen here, right? This is another situation where you could see them stick with that same thing, go with a guy like a Bryce Rainier out of high school to shortstop. Or if this is something where they end up, he's from Harvard Westlake, that's literally right up their, their alley as far as California prep shortstops. Or they could go a different direction. We admittedly just don't know a lot about what Craig Breslow is going to do. Uh, but if, you, if Bryce Rainier is the pick, lefty hitting shortstop who also has been a pitcher as well. He's run it up to 96, has a breaking ball. He can land in the mid-70s. If you were to f- just primarily have him as a pitcher, I could see that working out. He's got, again, good traits and things like that. But offensively, he's a shortstop, already 6'3", 195. He may end up having to move out to third base, but it's something where he's very he's got plenty of power. A lot of it's pull side right now, but plenty of power. And the hit tool has is good. It's not consistent. And the thing here from a, a lot of the scouting reports I've read, showcase recaps, tournament recaps, things like that, is he has that problem that Emmanuel Rodriguez of the Twins has, where he gets a little too passive, gets into a disadvantage count, and then bat has to battle and ends up having a suboptimal batted ball quality. So if he can be a little more aggressive, especially on fastballs, especially on mistake fastballs, things like that. He absolutely can be an impact hitter, both hit tool and power tool, because I think the contact ability is there. It's just the approach. From a defensive perspective, again, he may end up having to move to third base simply because of the size, depending on what happens. Now, if he does that, the arm is reportedly a 70-grade arm, so it should work. The hands are good enough where he can do all of his stuff. This is just... If he ends up sticking as a position player, shortstop over third base, if he sticks as a pitcher, it's okay. You've got to develop uh, 
one, a third pitch, and then two, just get more of that consistency in the mechanics to see what happens there. Fantastic week this week. Again, thanks for joining us on a uh, Thanksgiving episode here. We're going to have part two of this where we're going to try to cover the entire rest of the first round. Uh, Tomorrow, probably a lot less notes on each individual player, not going nearly as deep. But in the meantime, if you have questions for Monday's mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMBProspect at gmail.com. We've got a Discord. We've got a subtext. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember... It's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.